So I invite you to be in James, which Dave just read, James chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one in front of you, and we invite you to take that if you don't have one. James chapter 1, this is the fifth sermon we're in James. Getting close to the end of James chapter 1. Trials test our hearts, and they shake us, and they, they show us what's inside. I have this water bottle that I'm going to use to refresh myself as, we, as I speak to you, and if I stood here and I do a little bit of this, you see some water coming out onto the floor, why did, I, why did water spill out of the bottle? And one answer... Why water just spilled out of the bottle is because I shook the bottle. But why did water come out of the bottle? Because water was in the bottle in the first place. Shaking it didn't change what was in the bottle. The shaking of trials in our lives, afflictions, difficulties, stresses, reveal and test... A person cuts me off and stops immediately without warning, and I almost hit him, and I curse him, and I give him the wrong finger. And although I say to myself, it's because he made me mad that I acted in such an ugly and unchristian way, it's because of what he did. He made me mad. But the reality is, my actions reveal what kind of heart was within. It was angry, self-centered, and patient, not trusting in God's care. Afflictions hit us. Your hardships this week hit you and tempt you to grumble, panic, curse God, run from Him, trust false gods, escape, or trust God, run to Him for refuge, confess your needs to His, your need for Him. Get on your knees and pray, cling to the Word, remember He's good, and rest in His care. Because you see, afflictions, difficulties, reveal the nature of our hearts, and they ask and they show, who do we really love? What do we really trust in? Who or what has captured my heart? And not only do trials reveal where we really are, they grow our faith if we will remain steadfast and look to God in them. Trials and difficulties teach us to trust in Him and not trust on earthly comforts that'll just go away. They teach us that God is our comfort. He is our peace. He is our hope. He is our security. You see, when we're tested with trials, we're also tempted. We're always tempted when we're tested. We're tempted to curse God and to grumble or to trust other things, to panic and not look to God but ourselves or other securities, to lift ourselves up in pride and in self-confidence or self-pity and reject in frustration that God, I guess, isn't really sovereign and He doesn't know what's best for me. You see, the heart, it's the place of our desires. What I desire, what I love, what makes me tick, 
that will direct the path of my life and your life. The question of the heart is of utmost importance. Proverbs 4 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, watchfulness, for out of the heart comes all the streams of life. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 19, From out of the heart come evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immorality and theft and false witness and slander. All this talk about the heart as we come to a passage that Dave just read from James 1, 12 through 19a. And we're going to see a focus on the heart. James says, you will, you faith church, you Christians, you anyone, you will face trials. And he says, they, it is a testing of your faith and also a revealing of your heart. How will you endure? How will you pass the test? How do you face these trials? And he says, pray for wisdom and pray for God's grace. And how you do this, it will grow maturity. And I want to say, it'll grow your heart to be transformed from within. So that when shaken, God is producing holiness in you. He's producing a love for God in you. A trust in Him. Fruit. Faith. This morning, I would encourage you to write down three things to apply to your life concerning facing trials and temptations. You have them in the back of your notes, so they're already written down or typed out. But I encourage you to write and follow along these three instructions when facing trials and temptations. I'm going to say it this way, when tempted and tried, because you will be tempted and tried this week, this year, this lifetime, and you will be constantly tempted and tried and tested. James gives us three instructions. Here they are. Number one, fix your heart on the goal, and that's in verse 12. Fix your heart on the goal. Look at verse 12 of James 1. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test of time, or he has stood the test that he's enduring, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Do you hear heart language in this verse? Blessed is the man. He is wooing us. He's calling you who are suffering and tempted and tried. Oh, just remember, oh, the blessedness. Oh, the, the fulfillment and happiness to the person. Count yourself blessed when you remain steadfast under trial. So when you have passed this test and remain firm, looking to Jesus, you'll receive a prize, a crown, and to all who love him. He appeals to our desire. He, he woos us and com, gives us promises. He says, you'll receive a crown. This imagery is not, you're not meant to think of the crown in Windsor Castle or Buckingham Palace, not that kind of crown. The crown that James had in mind in that time was a laurel wreath that would go and be presented to an athlete after an event when he had accomplished and won the prize and it's an imagery that says you will receive the prize of life, eternal life. Fix your mind on that. But that is not, when I say fixed your heart on the goal this morning, I don't think that Paul, Paul's even the, the deepest and the greatest goal is just, oh, I want eternal life. I want to go to heaven when we die. 
I believe verse 12 ends with this, which God has promised to those who love him. This is not a throwaway phrase. I think, he was, I think Paul means for us to understand that the trying of your faith in life is building in you a character and in maturity. Verse 4 says a maturity that comes out of that in you. You love God. You find yourself truly saying, I love God. Because th- I think James means us to hear trials teach you to love God. And you'll be maturity, verse 4. And that maturity is you truly love God. Oh, that we would be a people, that I would be a pastor, that my family and my children and my church and my neighbors and your grandchildren and you at 90 or 9 or 19 would at the depths of your heart be able to really sing the song we just sang, my Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee, all the foolishness of sin, I give up. All those alluring enticements, I give up because I love you. You're my gracious redeemer, my savior. Thou art, if ever I loved you. Tis Jesus, it's now I love you. I love you because you first loved me. I love you even when they, when death is on my brow. My Jesus, I love you. And I want to call you this morning, you who will face great trials. And I'm going to talk about temptations in just a minute. And will face temptations. Fix your heart on the goal. And that is, you are called to love God with all your heart. It is not merely the the goal of eternal life, of which is to all those who look to him. It is for those who love him. Oh, the goal of our trials is that we would love him. Do you love him? Can you, can you say you love him? Not just like him. Not just say, yeah, I, I, I think I do. Here, here are two questions of testing of whether you love him. Or two statements. One is, if you love him, you, you're going to desire his glory among, over all things. You will desire that God would be honored, that Jesus would be honored among all th- above all things in all aspects of your life. And so you will find yourself, and I, I bring this to you to ask you to start asking yourself these things. This question, this week when you go to work, Lord, how might you be glorified in the circumstances that I'm just about to face? Lord, how, much you, how, how might you be glorified in my response to my parents who are very difficult Oh, Lord, how might I respond to my spouse in a way that would show you off? To show that I'm satisfied in you and not other things? Oh, God, I'm going through this illness that the doctor just told me about and I've been feeling in my body. But, oh, God, beyond whether you heal me or not, how might I show you as all good and satisfying? To the one that loves God, they have grown to love him and want him to be glorified. Instead of saying, how might I get out of this mess? Try asking, how can God be glorified in this situation? Instead of asking, how can I get my way and feel like my will is being done? Ask God, how might Jesus look really well through the way I respond and as I trust you? That's the first 
test of do I love him? Am I growing to love him? It might be easy on a Sunday morning, just over a few minutes when you're sitting in a sanctuary, but what is it going to look like tomorrow, this evening? Tomorrow when you sit in front of a computer or your phone and are tempted and tried, when you face difficulties. Second question is, Lord, how might I show your love and bless others in circumstance like this? Or to love God means to love, to desire to show him and bless others, to love my neighbor as myself. Lord, this person is really difficult and it is causing a real difficulty in my life. I love you. You loved me. And it is my job to show off your goodness by loving them and blessing those who hurt me and praying for them and loving my enemies and always forgiving as you have forgiven me. Maturity, you don't just start there. No, none of us are naturally there. We're going to see this. We're not naturally there. Oh, we need God to do a work in our heart to change our wills. If we were to pray the Lord's Prayer every day, Hallowed be your name, not my name. Your will be done, not my will. On earth as it is in heaven. Oh God, change my affection so I love you, not myself. God, help me to love you, not as a means of fulfilling me, but love you for your sake. And when I realize that, I realize you are the greatest fulfillment. The first thing, first instruction I give to you, and I think James does, would be, Fix your heart on the goal, love him. Endure trials, knowing it's producing, love him. And those who love him receive the prize of eternal life, not because they earned it, but by the grace of God, having put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's number one. The second instruction of when you're tempted and tried is to beware of the problem of your heart. So, Beware of the problem of your heart. Whenever you face a trial, a difficulty, you're also facing a temptation. And James says this. Look at verse 13 of James 1. Let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. I believe that do not be deceived goes with that paragraph, if your Bible says otherwise. As you face trials and testing, beware, because this is the problem, temptation. You know there's a problem. You will be tempted this week, friends. You'll be tempted today. Temptation is something we will always face. But he wants us to know, first of all, a qualifier. He's saying, do not be deceived, friends. Watch out, friends. You are to love God with all your heart. All who love him will receive the crown, but do not be deceived. There is temptations coming. And I want you to know in verse 14, he says, here's a qualifier. Well, verse 13, he gives a qualifier. Let no one say when he's tempted... I am being tempted by God. God will test you. And God, all of the things that come into your life that even lead to temptation, God is in control and sovereign. He is over everything. 
He was sovereign over the temptations of Joseph and over David and over Adam and Eve and over you. But none of us should ever say, when I am tempted, God made me do it. He does not tempt anyone, neither is he tempted by evil. To tempt is to induce to sin, to trick and to lure, to deceive and to seek to destroy the faith of someone. God is holy and good. He would never with any intention ever bring and do things in your life in order to get you to sin. But each person is tempted, verse 14, when he is lured and enticed by his, see this, his own desire. Uh, Some versions say his lusts. Really, it's a neutral word. Desires could be good desires, bad desires, but it's his own desires and it's come from a heart that is not, oh, not so good. God has Satan tempts, but the reality in this passage says our problem is our own desires. And this passage says you have an evil heart. It doesn't say it quite like that. It says your own desires lead to the problem that leads to a temptation. Beware of the problem of your heart. Jeremiah 17.9 says, the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? we don't just outgrow. You don't just, you don't just, I'm, I'm 80 and I don't have these sinful desires anymore. No, you have just a different version of sinful desires. Unless it has been crucified with Christ, your desires are the problem. And our desires are, if I said, we need to have desires to love God. And I, I said, to love God by loving his glory over everything. God, how would you get glorified in my family life today and how I treat my wife? How would you, how can I bless others today? Here's the thing is, your natural heart doesn't go there. Your natural heart says, I want glory. I want my way. I want, I want, I want. I want you to give me. I want you to give to me. That is the center of a sinful heart that we all have. And James gives us the blessing of understanding how temptation works in these verses. I like how Sinclair Ferguson, he calls this a temptation cycle. And all Christians who care about temptation and sin to fight against it should take note and say, I need to know, beware of my sinful heart by knowing this temptation cycle. And I'm going to just give you a few things he says. Deception will go through attraction, and attraction will lead to preoccupation and conception, and then subjugation. And so I want you to see this. First of all, deception. Do you see the deception in, of, of the nature of temptation? Look at verse 16 when he says, Do not be deceived, my brothers. And he goes back, and be, the verses before, there's a deception. Sin works through our desires. Sin and temptation doesn't advertise as, you, as sin leading to death and misery. Sin never advertises that it's bad and ugly and yucky. It deceives you. Sin advertises how ugly and miserable it will, all the misery it will bring as much as a 60s cigarette advertisement would announce that it causes cancer and heart disease. There is a luring and a trickiness to sin. Sin seeks to dupe you into thinking that it will last, 
and it's good for you, and it will not last, and it will destroy you. Sin takes bait, and we go, I want that bait. I want that, and there's a hook in it. And the problem is, we don't see far enough ahead of us. That is a trick that will destroy me. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve in the garden, the fruit looked really good to Eve. She was deceived. She saw that it was good to eat, and it was good to her eyes, and she was duped into thinking that it would be okay. David, in 1 Samuel chapter, 2 Samuel 11 and 12, he is standing on a rooftop, probably shouldn't have been there, should have been off to war, and he looks and he sees a beautiful woman bathing, a married woman, had no idea. He had no reason to keep looking, and he was deceived in the moment, thinking having her would be good for me, would fulfill me. It's a lie. Whatever you're facing, there's enough of you to have desires that will just be lured into a deception. Away from saying, God, how might you be glorified? How might I do what you want me to do? And how might I show how Good you are and love others. But you see, this deception leads in, uses attraction. That's the next word, attraction. Each person is attempted when he is lured. He's lured. Imagine a magnet dragging that object to him by its force. Temptation attracts us of, with good things, sometimes non-sinful things, food and drink and even marital sex and money and relationships Yet with twisted hearts that, are, that we have that do not want God's glory, nor do we care to love others, but instead use others, we're attracted and lured. We're lured by things that may become objects for our own personal gratification and satisfaction. Our hearts are driven not by God's glory and the love of others, but by self. And we're attracted and we, we catch they catch our eye. David sees Bathsheba out bathing, and he is hooked. He doesn't turn away. And in Genesis 3, Eve sees the fruit, hears the voice of the serpent. She's attracted to what she sees. He brings her about even more, and she starts to wonder if disobedience to God, well, really wasn't so bad, and in fact, God isn't so good. Because he was not allowing her to have this. We're lured by images. You this week will be lured by images in an advertisement on TV, in a song, in a movie, a click in an advertisement on the web. You'll be lured and attracted through some book or some manner of living that just wants to satisfy yourself. It doesn't matter your age. Sin then not only uses deception to attract, it then leads to a preoccupation. Do you see the preoccupation? Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. He's seduced and he's stuck now. He's preoccupied. Have you, you know what we're talking about. Yeah, I know that's not right. 
I know, and it, I'm not, we can easily think about lust and pornography in our culture, but that's not the only types of enticement. It could be going the direction of gossip and slander because it feels good and it's attractive and it just sucks you in. It can be so many other things, anything in your life that causes you to not love God and love others for God's sake is pulling you in and your desires to be all about you and your way, self-gratification. And it leads to a preoccupation, obsession, and we don't get it out of our mind. I can't get it out of my mind. I now lust after it. No one can eat one Dorito. <laughs> you dabble with sin, and you can't just dabble there. It sucks you in. The Sermon on the Mount says, if you lust after a woman, you have sinned, you have committed adultery in your heart. If you have been angry with your brother and have not forgiven her or him, you have sinned and committed the sin of hatred in your heart. No longer does God's word and will matter or the glory of God capture our heart. But instead, we want and we want and we want and we want it. We're going to go after that and be satisfied with little thought about God. Temptation also and always says to us and brings us in and says, stay a while. Just stay here. Stay here. And it leads to conception. Literally, it did for, for, for David and Bathsheba. He slept with her and it led to pregnancy. But this passage says the desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin. It's conception type of language. So you, there's a type of union that takes place when we're starting to get tempted. We get tempted and there's attraction. We see something, we want it. And we already have desires in our heart to naturally be bent towards some things that we shouldn't want. They're not right in God's timing. And the combination of my twisted desire and temptation, it's put in front of us, and opportunity, I can actually do it. Nobody's looking. I think I could get away for, with it for just a minute. I will gossip. I will give into this that non-pleasing to the Lord's way is not yielding to... The, God, the mind that seeks God's way does not yield to this object of desire when there's opportunity. And Eve looked with desire, was tempted, and she reaches out and she sins and takes and eats of the tree that God had forbidden her to take. David goes and sends for Bathsheba, a married woman, and brings her into his house and sleeps with her, commits adultery, violates her and her husband and her, his marriage. You might say... That kind of level of conception of sin where it lures me, holds me in, and leads to full-out sin. Well, I just can't imagine doing that. Don't think you're above it. I don't care if you're a deacon or pastor, pastor's wife, deacon's wife, children. I don't care what age you are and how long you've been a Christian. Don't think you are, are vaccinated from sin. In this life. And we need to watch and be careful. The point he's saying is beware of this. By telling you this, it is for you to 
slow the temptation process down and stop and slow things down and go, okay, wait a minute, I'm going this direction. If I go this direction, I'm not even going to get close to the line of temptation because if I go there, I could just, sin conceives and it leads to finally subjugation. I'm subject to that object, that sin. I'm under the control of sin and death. Sin, when it is finished, leads to death, he says. A type of an addiction. I am controlled. I am dead to myself. I'm alive to that object that is controlling me and killing me. Sin wishes to master you, just like Cain. Or Genesis, it says, sin is crouching at your door. Don't let it have mastery over you. Enslavement to sin, I must have it. I must have my pleasure. I must have my comfort. I must have my improper or illicit relationship. I'm ensla- and we become enslaved to money and to TV and to control and to alcohol and sex and gossip and comfort and power. Temptation could be like what C.S. Lewis pictures in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe when Edmund, who is really treacherous in heart, his heart is really selfish at this point in the book, a wicked witch, which he doesn't know is a witch, she thinks he's a beautiful, she's a beautiful queen, gives him this candy, this Turkish delight. And this is how he describes it. This is sin and temptation come into our life. Each piece was sweet and light to the very center of Edmund. Had never, like nothing he had ever tasted. It was so delicious. And he was quite warm now, where before he was cold. He was very comfortable. And while he was eating, the queen was asking all these questions. First, Edmund tried to remember that it's rude to speak with one's mouth full, but soon he forgot about this and thought only of trying to shovel more of that Turkish delight as much as he could. And the more he ate, the more he wanted to eat. Edmund did not know that it was an enchanted Turkish delight and that everyone who once tasted it would want more and more of it and would even, if they were allowed, go on eating until they killed themselves. Oh, sin is so bad. Christians are aware of that and say, my heart is to be captured by something else. I need to run from temptation. I don't trust. I need to be aware of the problem of my heart. That's why James is giving this. And when you go through trials, you're going to be tempted to give into self-pity and then go that way. And it could lead into escapism and other sins. Or when you're dealing with success and everything is good in your life, like David had, temptations and allurements come in a different way. Beware. He says, of your own heart. Take care, brothers, Hebrews author would say, of the damage done by the more graphically in the Proverbs, Proverbs 7, describing the seductive woman, which I believe is folly in sin, and is warning both men and women, don't give in to folly, but follow wisdom in the fear of the Lord when he says this, with much seductive speech, she pursues suades him with her smooth talk. And James would say, amen, that's what I'm talking about. All at, all at once, this man that's being tempted and just lured and enticed at once follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast till an, enemy, an arrow pierces its liver as a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know what it, that it will cost him his life. 
And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let your heart turn aside, not to her ways. Do not stray unto her paths. For many a victim she has laid low, and all her slain are like a mighty throng. Her house is the way of the grave, going down to the chambers of death. Oh, there are times when people will come to, pa- to a pastor and say, Pastor, I don't know how it happened, but it did. Mm. And it didn't just happen like that. They followed Their desires followed a path of deception and then being entrapped and enslaved as they were preoccupied and it con- sin conceived in their heart and they became enslaved to it. And now things are a mess. Oh, there is a grace from God that says if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. There's a God who says I will rescue even a guy like David who commits adultery and repents after like nine months of hardness of heart. And maybe as you listen to this sermon, God's stirring in you, you need to cut off and get help from the enslaving power of sin in your life. I hope you'll hear part of the answer how to do that in this last point. Oh, for those who are tempted and tried, which is you and me, fix your heart on the goal to love God. God, my heart is meant for you. And to beware of my heart is still not where you are. It's still too inclined to go to other things. Number three, know the solution who changes hearts. Look at verse 17. Know the solution. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits among his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers. I believe that is meant to be back with this. I want you to know this. And my answer here is know the solution who changes hearts. And when I say know the solution, the solution has a capital S at it, and it's a person, and it's the message here is a new thought, new paragraph, new idea, change of subject. No, he's saying you deal with temptation, and in temptation, temptations are constantly saying, this is good, this is good. And he wants you to know there is only one source of good gifts, and it comes from the Father. Temptation exploits our desires, and with our hearts, they're not fully yet in love with God. And they, temptation always says, here's a false goodness. It doesn't say it's false, but it offers a false goodness. And it's a false goodness that will fade away. It won't last. And it's actually not good for us. It will destroy us. And James would have us to say, know personally this God. No, I want you to know this. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above He's better than you could ever imagine. All that your heart really would ever desire in its greatest state is found in him. You see, Eve in the garden of Genesis chapter 3, she thought and she was tricked into thinking that the one no that God gave her in the midst of a garden full of yes, good yeses, this one good no, 
she needed to have, and she bought into the lie where God said, all that I give, look around you, behold my goodness that I have provided for you, and oh, how our hearts can just so quickly turn a blind eye to God's goodness. Friends, for us to truly defeat temptation against pornography, against all kinds of patterns of evil thoughts and unforgiveness and bitterness, and we could just list of sins, all the sins of the flesh, the respectable and the unrespectable sins, they will not be defeated just by knowing that there's a temptation cycle and watching out. They will only be defeated when our hearts are not just removed desires that are evil, but are swallowed up in so much greater desires. And that ends in the goodness and the grace of our Lord Jesus. They find a greater affection that swallows out a lesser affection. And that is God and God alone. And James would have you and I say, know the goodness of God. The gift is from above. If he has told you to wait till marriage, it is good. If he has told you to be faithful to your spouse and it's hard, it is good. If he's told you to love your children and do the hard work of discipline, it's good. If he's told you to be honest at work when it's hard, it is good. Every good gift and every perfect, it's always good. He always offers something better than the sin that tempts you. Sin offers us what Looks good, but a lie, but not our Father. And he wants us to know in verse 18, it gets even better. He doesn't just say, he's good, so just believe it. He changes you from the inside out. And in verse 18, he says, he gives you the new birth. He causes you to be born again. Look at verse 18. Of his own will... He brought us forth. That, that's the image of bringing forth a baby. If you're a mother that had a birth to a child, you brought forth that boy or girl. God, by his own will, brought you forth if you are a Christian. And he did it through the word of truth. You heard the gospel. And he's saying this to say, this is something I'm working from the inside out and I've changed you. The idea of a first fruit is... My choice people, my, the, the first fruits of giving to God was, this is of what all that I have is yours, God. And it shows your goodness and it, that you'll keep your promises. And I'm remembering that you'll keep your promises. And God is saying, when I save you, I change your heart. I, it's like I birthed you and I make you my own. And you are my first fruits. And so... From the inside out, I am working to change your desires. Know that I'm good. Know that for those who love them, they receive the prize, the crown of life. So watch out for these temptations and these trials. Remain steadfast. Well, I want to point you to Jesus. Jesus was tempted and tried. He was fully God, but he was fully man. He was... He was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by the devil, the greatest tempter. For 40 days, we said this in Sunday school, have you ever been tempted for 40 straight minutes with intense temptation? How'd that go? Was it really good? Was it easy? Did you succeed? Chances are many times you failed that temptation. 
Jesus went 40 days in the wilderness and completely trusted God at every moment of his existence. And he came and he lived a perfect life. He was tempted, Hebrew says, like all men in every way, but was without sin. Oh, so that he could be a high priest to all those who come and draw near to him. Your only hope against temptation and the forgiveness from falling in temptation is that Jesus Christ, who was tempted and tried and went on a cross and he died for our sins and for the sins of all who put their trust in him and ask him to forgive them and claim what he has done for their benefit. He makes them children of God. Oh, he will work in us his grace. You who are tempted and cry, fix your, fix your eyes on the goal to love him. It is the best thing in the world. He is good. Beware of temptation. Know this. Know the Father. Know the Son. Know what he's done for you. He is good. And his steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray.